Today, we have a very special guest whose resume reads like a who's who's list of the biggest names in sports, business, and entertainment. I'm talking about none other than Troy Michaels, a tour de force in the realms of marketing, team building, and leadership. To give you a glimpse into Troy's storied career, just listen to this. He's been a powerhouse across industries, having worked with iconic organizations like Aspen and Snowmass, Audi, and even the Olympics. Ever had a sip of rescue water or had some Oakley sunglasses? You've experienced Troy's influence. And when it comes to pushing the envelope, Troy's a pioneer. He's played an instrumental role in nearly 40 X Games. Yeah, you heard that right. Almost 4-0. His portfolio isn't limited to sports and entertainment. He's also flexed his expertise in corporate sectors, influencing Fortune 50 companies by inspiring marketing and innovation. If you're wondering how to build a team that not only delivers but thrives, look no further. Troy has been at the helm of team building efforts at Jocko Fuel, Origin USA, and the retail giant Target. Not to mention, he's mastermind product and go-to-market strategies that have generated revenue in excess of $100 million annually. On top of all this, Troy can cold plunge for 12 minutes, fully submerged, breathing out of a snorkel. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a seasoned executive or someone who's just fascinated by the world of marketing and leadership, you're in for an enlightening conversation today. Without further ado, let's dive right in and welcome Troy Michaels. Tony, water. Troy, I am glad to have you with me today and welcome to the Outdoor Industry Executive Voices Podcast. Really cool to be here. Thank you for uh, thinking of me and, and cool getting to uh, know you thus far. A um, little bit jealous, wish I was sitting down in Costa Rica, but it's not bad here in Minnesota this time of year. This time of year, it is definitely very nice up by you. Um, so we're going to jump right in. You know, where we're going to start is where I start with each guest. And so Troy, tell us how you got your start in the outdoor industry. Wow, that, that is a great one. Growing up in central Minnesota in, you know, the, the, the 80s, um, you know, you felt like everything that was happening, influencing culture, if you will, was not happening in Minnesota. So your exposure to it was through back then print media, you know, endemic magazines like Thrasher, if you will, in the skateboarding scene. I grew up enjoying skateboarding for sure. I had a mini ramp when I was like in fourth grade and I still, I found the release form that my parents made that the other parents had to sign for kids to come on it. Um, pretty funny, but that really is where it clicked really by way of exposure to a subculture that was very distant, yet inspiring to me just by way of how it was creative and, you know, being done outdoors, you know, by athletic folks, right? And reading those magazines kind of led into, you know, how to say it, maybe inherent progression around what else are you going to get into? And then snowboarding came along. And being in Minnesota, you know, we're far away from where snowboarding was really being cultivated out of by Jake Burton out in Vermont and then folks out in Southern California. Um, but I had a, a black snow snowboard from my hometown shop of Pomida. Very, very, you know, entry level equipment, you'll say. 
and ended up though going to Powder Ridge in Kimball, Minnesota, 64 times when I was in ninth grade and falling in love there with being out on snow. So fast forward then a few years later, I had, you know, really kind of transitioned from being a, a wannabe jock into being a wannabe ski or snowboard bum by way of those experiences at, at Powder Ridge. And yet though, I, I had this game plan that was formulated mostly with my father about being, well, really stemmed from going to Top Gun in 1986 in Wilmer, Minnesota. Want to be a fighter pilot. So I became a pilot in high school or shortly thereafter was nominated to the Air Force Academy by the late Senator Rod Grams and Congressman David Mingy in Minnesota. And lucky for me is um, I could pull vault though. And the Academy wanted me to do the decathlon. So I went out there to a camp at the Air Force Academy and, uh, you know, went through this program and decided to not pursue going into the Academy right off the bat, but pursue essentially kind of being redshirted. I wasn't that great or anything, but I could pull vault. And so I went to, uh, went through this prep school program through what I believe was called the Falcon Foundation at the Air Force Academy. I did not go to theirs. I went to an outside one. Um, called Northwestern Prep School with 30 folks from who were nominated to the Naval Academy and 30 folks who were nominated to West Point, the Military Academy, and 30 folks who were nominated to the Air Force Academy, like myself. And you know what? I hated it. Hmm. And I worked since sixth grade to, you know, on the side of, of being this, maybe in, in my mind, no, no one else is really, maybe my parents a little bit, but aspiring snow sports enthusiast, but really to be a fighter pilot one day. And got to this prep school, didn't like it at all, left, and my dad wanted to kill me. And I found myself, you know, after transitioning a, a semester or what have you at uh, the University of Minnesota Duluth, I found myself in Whistler on Blackcomb Glacier at a camp with literally everyone hanging on my walls at home right there in front of me and got to know a, a number of the, the pro athletes, coaches in the first, you know, day or so. And after that experience up there for a week on Blackcomb Glacier at, at Whistler Blackcomb, I was found myself back in, actually on the Apple River in Wisconsin, right across in Hudson, Wisconsin, right across from Minnesota. And I see my phone ringing in a Ziploc bag because I'm, I'm floating down the river on a tube with my friends. And it's a 604 area code. And it was yeah. Shane Zox, pro skier, sponsored by Arnett Eyewear back in the day, first Red Bull athlete in Canada. And he's a, he's a K2 athlete which for me growing up in Minnesota, K2 was, was the brand to be a part of on snow anyway. And he's like, Troy, all the coaches agree. We want you to come back and, and work at the camp. Can you get back here this summer? And that really, that's what did it. You know, getting the opportunity to go back out there and be welcomed into that subculture, if you will, by some leaders within it really inspired me in a way where it was like, you know, I had this dream, this vision, He's going to be committed to a 20 year path, potentially, you know, in the, in the, in the air force. And I, I didn't get appointed to the air force academy. I got nominated. There is a difference, but that, that had me go, Oh, I'm doing the right thing. I don't care if I'm washing dishes or, you know, uh, working at the resort or working for K2, which ended up happening down the road. I just want to be a part of this. And, you know, I think I got the nod because I got out there as this camper and I was out partaking in whatever they were doing every night is a group until all hours, you know, taking it all in. And the first one there at 7 a.m., um, willing to carry a generator up the chairlift and, 
you know, down a glacier and hooking up the speakers and then being that camper and then, you know, helping at the end of the day, even though I, I wasn't there at work, I was there to be a camper, but I contributed. And that cracked the door open to, um, for really me getting my in, in the outdoor industry by way of then K2 asking me to intern. And that was the start of, start of it all. It was really just due to being passionate about an opportunity, you know, out there on snow. Okay. So now, now you're interning with K2. What did you do next after the internship? I found myself after the internship and kind of like entry-level marketing role back at the University of Minnesota, not loving it, but I'm taking, you know, extension courses through the Carlson School of Business there. My advisor is this professor in the, in the marketing department, Mark J. Weber, I believe was his name. And um, I had the opportunity to, uh, to make an impression on some marketing folks from Universal, specifically Universal Recreation Group by Universal Studios, Universal Orlando Resort, the theme park side of the business. And figured out who the CMO was, wrote him a letter and asked if I could intern. He got back to me. Then he introduced me to the director of public relations, had an interview there. They said they had a winter internship open. I had to go to, to this advisor at the University of Minnesota and I, I showed him what they, they had teed up in terms of an internship in public, public relations down there. And I said, look, uh, my parents are not going to go for this, but I feel like I should pursue it. And he's like, yes, you should. We have graduates that can't get these opportunities. Go. But then fast forward, I go down there to intern. The internship gets over. They offer me a position. And I was supposed to go back to the University of Minnesota. That's when I go back to the, this professor and I say, hey, now they've offered me a position. My, you know, my parents want me to come back there and go to school. I'm like, will you write me an email telling me I should stay and, and do this? And he did. And I showed that to my dad. And I, I got to stay and work there. And, and then it transitions out of Universal into another opportunity back on snow that stemmed from Whistler. Let me understand this. They recruited you out of college to come work for them full time and wrote a letter to your professor to then also share with your dad and be like, this is the opportunity. They're ready for me now. He sent me an email saying, yes, don't worry about coming back here. Take the job. Show that to my dad. Stay at Universal. I'm now a, a specialist in public relations for Universal Orlando Resort, hosting people like Maxim Magazine, you know, for hotel grand openings to, um, you know, a number of people after 9-11, you know, to come down and experience the, the, the resort is a, is a, is kind of a vacation post after everything they went to. We invited a number of firemen down from the various engines and ladders in, in the New York City kind of um, area and even invited the, the president to come down and got a letter back from the White House declining. Um, but then I I get it. I, I receive a, a call from the PR director from Whistler Blackcomb, Susan Darch. And her and, and David Perry, the VP of marketing, have been recruited from Whistler Blackcomb to go to Aspen Snowmass to mix the fur coats with the youth again, is how they presented it. And Whistler was okay. the spot, the spot. What they were doing, the, um, the family that owns Aspen Snowmass were, were you know, trying to uh, bring, it, bring Aspen into a new era. And they went, to got the, they went and got the best people from the best resort to help them do that. 
they reached out to me as somebody they knew that knew all the athletes or a lot of the athletes was very hardworking and would be able to quickly help them concept and create various events and activations, not only for the athletes to come and partake in, but their, their roster of sponsors to be excited about. How do you go from hospitality back into snow sports? I actually left Aspen for a stint to go work for Oakley. And then Scott Bowers reached out to me and said, go back to Aspen if they give you the opportunity. Scott Bowers was, I believe, the CMO of Oakley at the time. Okay. And got to know him from afar through Pat McElveen, who is the director of sports marketing, and Joe DeRazio, who is a legendary team manager for Oakland Sports Marketing. They knew me from doing athlete photo shoots in Aspen Snowmass. I dreamt of working for, for Oakley uh, growing up in Minnesota. And um, ever since my first pair of frog skins in, in whatever year that would have been. And um, so I, I leave Aspen, I literally physically move back to Minnesota in between going to Oakley and Scott Bowers calls my home phone number and my dad picks up. My dad says to me, um, the CMO of Oakley's on the phone to talk to you and um, get on the phone with Scott. I couldn't believe I was chatting with this guy. I mean, I dreamt of being a part of Oakley, like number one brand for me growing up. And he's like, Troy, you can do more for a brand by staying in, in Aspen, like the X games going on. You know, we need somebody there like you, like, don't feel like you have to take this position. We'd love to, you know, have you, you know, in the fold, but, but there. And Aspen was so cool. They, they really were coming into their own and they had carved out a position for me to, to become a manager and oversee the concept and creation of events and bringing in more athletes and building out a whole program around them. Aspen was awesome and accepted me back. Had another amazing season there with the X Games being there and whatnot. And there were, um, you know, there is there is a position within Target and that they were having a hard time getting folks from who had experiential marketing experience to move from either New York or LA, typically, where most folks had that experience to Minnesota. Nobody wanted to move to Minnesota. Somehow I got connected with them and, um, um, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, was actually like, oh my gosh, everybody wants that job. There's no way you're going to get into that department. I didn't explain to her that the outreach kind of came to me as somebody that maybe would, that had the right experience that maybe you'd want to be back in Minnesota. So even my boss knew about it, Aspen, flew back and forth, I believe, four times, got the job. And I didn't want to leave Aspen, but everybody there was encouraging me to go and spread my wings and dive into that corporate setting. And you know, see the impact that could possibly have on that brand. So I, I, I made the leap. And I will say the entire drive from Aspen back to Minneapolis, I didn't listen to music. I didn't listen to anything. The whole time I was, I was looking back going, I even stopped in Nebraska and literally looked back going, what am I doing? I had a couple conversations I remember on, on, on that drive. One was with Stan Madrid, who was the first field marketing manager for Red Bull in North America, I believe, who became a regional figurehead for Red Bull. And a lot of people in the Red Bull world know of Stan. He's a great guy and had a great chat with him, you know, about what could be be done at Target if I, you know, went there and had the same outlook that I had when I went to Aspen Snowmass. So I, I marched on and ended up walking into Target one day, going from wearing all Oakley to wearing a suit every day. That is quite the transition. All right. So, so you shared with me a little bit about 
working under one of, uh, I think most people consider one of the most powerful CMOs in the history of retail, Michael Francis. Mm. I want to know how that happened. I want to understand how you have now left Aspen Snowmass to go work for one of the biggest corporations. And then what was your connection to Michael Francis? Timing and the fact that a, a director who was very really close with him in, in Laura Sandal, who was just awesome. Um, yeah, timing part, I was uh, happened to be on the outside of the, in the CEO's lobby, essentially. And Michael was departing a meeting with Bob Ulrich, the CEO at the time. And Michael was tearing. What, what's, a, what's a CEO's lobby? What is that? Um, at Target at the time on the 26th floor, there is a, there was a lobby for, for the, for the executive primary executive team and okay. primarily Bob Ulrich, the CEO, where there was, you know, a reception receptionist, Leanne Stevens at the time, um, who was awesome as well. And, um, I was getting out of the elevator bank and, and, you know, by myself and Michael's walking through carrying a vase and he, uh, he said, Hey, Troy, can you help me get through this door? All the doors are secure. He assumed that I had my badge on me that day. I forgot my badge. And I was like, my, um, of course, Michael, how the heck do you know my name? There's like 800 and I think 864 people in marketing at that time to be exact. And I found that out later through asking him how the heck he knew my name. It turns out he is brilliant and has amazing memory, but also has a journal that he'd sort through and keep up with all the new hires and what have you. But I didn't have my badge that day. And I would say, Michael, sorry, I forgot my badge today. <laughs> He's like, it's okay. Mine's right here in my pocket. And awkwardly had to grab his badge and help him through the door. And, you know, he said to me, so what do you think of Target? I think expecting a, um, you know, a resounding Target to your response of, it's amazing. I love it here. And I had this lackluster response of, you know what, I, it's great. I think we can, we can do better in how we go about cultivating the brand more or less. And he's like, I want to hear more about that. I'm going to set up time with you. Oh boy. And then a few hours later, I hear from that amazing director, Laura Sendall, you know, uh, come into my office and what the hell did you say to Michael Francis sort of thing. And, um, and I elaborated a little bit with them. I don't necessarily want to get into that, but um, she says to me, well, whatever you said, he, he liked it. And he wants you to go with him on, on the jet to Las Vegas to tell him more about your idea. And he was going to speak, I believe he was going to speak to Steve Wynn's team. I believe it was for the opening of the Encore Tower um, in celebration of, but I'm not certain of that, but we definitely went there and it was for, he had to speak to Steve Wynn's team about something. And um, I had a, uh, a one sheet ready to go explaining, um, you know, that I felt like we weren't going to beat Walmart at outspending them in media buys <laughs> and that we need to, needed to create an aspirational feeling out there on the ground within various subcultures, getting those, you know, influencers and opinion leaders who have a seat at the table to be saying target gets it, you know, for that trickle down effect to be happening within the right areas where we'd be a part of the conversation instead of marketing at the conversation. How did you eventually transition out of Target, or when did that happen? So, to late 2000, um, oh, this is an interesting one. Late 2011, you know, there was a lot of success with the brand. We'll put it that way. Missoni launched the Target website crashes. <laughs> um, huge win for the marketing team. Not necessarily seen that way by some senior leaders, from what the way I understand it, and. 
you know, people transitioned and went on to new opportunities, if you will. And I decided that was the right time for me to do the same thing. I had an amazing um, family behind uh, a new category, potentially category defining product in rescue water in terms of being, uh, you know, what Red Bull did with with the, the soft drink category by creating the energy drink category. I felt like rescue water could do with the hydration you know, category by creating an enhanced recovery drink. And my wife and I really believed in the product. The family was a great family behind it and gave me the opportunity to, you know, I'd been courting me for a while through, through mutual friends and I I wasn't going to leave target, but I believed in the product and, you know, they gave me the opportunity to be, uh, you know, uh, a partner in the business and oversee the brand and try to build something special with them. And I decided it was the right time to make that leap into being a you know, a co-business owner, co-founder and entrepreneur. And I always knew the Red Bull, you know, team and kind of how they went about things fairly well. I was pretty close to a lot of folks within Red Bull. And I felt like, you know, it'd be fun to do a lot of the things there. They, they were, they were, they did to build their brand. Um, fast forward, I learned the hard way that I was a number of years behind in that. And instead of doing experiential marketing and, you know, cool events, should have been investing way more heavily in, in digital, you know, Google AdWords at the time, Facebook and what have you. Instagram is just really, you know, coming out back then um, or on the rise, I, I should say. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, I felt like it was time to be an entrepreneur. I'd worked for K2, Universal, Astro Snowmaster and Target. You know, why not, why not learn this, uh, learn this other side of business? And um, boy, did I, did I, I get a great chance to do that from, from the rise of, 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 you know, building a new category to finding beverage, even creating um, packaging for it, even creating packaging for it. We wanted to create a category to finding packaging, kind of doing what Red Bull did with the Coca-Cola can mm-hmm. making sleeker, which we wanted to do with, with our, our bottle. So when you saw it, you're like, you'd remember seeing it. And uh, you know what? It's one of those things where, uh, where the, I really grew is not just in business, but as a person through becoming a, a business owner, CEO, and everything that goes along with that, the stresses of it, you know, financially dealing with team members, whether performing very well and, and wanting advancement or not performing so well and, and learning how to have those, you know, conversations around development and whatnot and the hiring and firing and things that go on with, with amazing folks from, you know, we had a time period where we had, um, uh, you know, a rock of our brand who who built our brand in Las Vegas um, get diagnosed with cancer, and we rallied the whole whole team. I believe mm. there's 34 of us who exited our insurance policies and got on a certain insurance so we could get um, get this amazing human covered as well. So you know, live that whole. Um, you know, had that whole very real experience of being an entrepreneur and then was able to transition, you know, out of that over time and, and um, you know, learning the hard way of ultimately acquiring um, ownership of the company through blind faith and then going into um, fast forward into the pandemic and then supply chain issues after and realizing, gosh, even if you're a billionaire, you can't go out into Ontario freight yard and open up rail cars and get your your, your materials out of those freight cars, let alone out in Long Beach Harbor, getting on those boats. And that opened me up to other opportunities at the time, you know, just a different mindset of how I could 
you know, take a, a company on the side that I had created and conduit LLC and, and help brands with mass retail and advise brand leaders and executives on, you know, brand building and culture. Making that transition like you did from the corporate, you know, from a, a very large corporation then into pure on startup mode. When you look at your past, you've, you've been in startup mode multiple times before, and then you go to a large, very well-known, well-respected corporation, and then back into the startup world. And the one theme that remains consistent with everything that you're sharing with us right now is your understanding of developing a brand. And it's, you know, we're in a unique time, right? Right now, we've, we're post-pandemic. We are now in this amazing time to be alive from a technology standpoint. I've become even more curious. I mean, you've been sitting in the catbird seat now for quite some time. What do you think the biggest transitions of developing a consumer brand in, and we'll just call it the, the outdoor industry, the active lifestyle, action sports, sporting goods. What do you see the biggest transition is going to be of developing a brand right now in 2023? How to navigate creating content in a credible and authentic manner while also not overthinking it. You know, there's so much competition out there. And I, I'd like to think there's still a lot of people that hold sacred a certain way of bringing brands to life around various nuances and, and in the minds of the most cynical of consumers and various subcultures. But also at times, you know, almost letting go of that and not worrying so much about how something comes off and just having fun doing it, not overthinking it. I do think, you know, what's going to be interesting with actual products and showcasing them is how virtual reality will play a role down the road and how you experience, experience them. Obviously, AI will have some, some role in things too. But to me, it's all about, it's always been all about, you know, what you want to be a part of and why. And that comes back to what resonates with you. And Typically, um, credibility is a big piece of that. If you follow the inherent progression of a certain um, discipline or subculture or whatnot, you want to see things celebrated and articulated in certain ways, i.e. credible ways. And it's so hard right now because there's so much going on and you want to, you need to break through. And sometimes I've learned that, you know, over, overthinking those things um, and being overly mindful of trying to be credible, actually, maybe that's not as important anymore. And it's, it's best to be just to be out there and in the forefront. I think, um, you know, I got to bring up the Nelk boys cause they're putting their brands on everything. And, you know, years ago, it wasn't cool to see certain brands on or certain, you know, wouldn't be cool to necessarily see a brand that's a beverage on apparel. Now the rules are kind of different. You can get away with just doing that. It's it's accepted in this new generation. Doesn't really hasn't been raised the same way we were to be overly cynical about things. So um, sometimes I find myself having to get over my own self and let things kind of just ride, um, which does bother me. I wish there was, uh, you know, we could hold true to a lot of that. Uh, which you and I have touched on on the back end a little bit with a lot going on in terms of the acquisitions happening in the action sports world and lifestyle brand wor world. But it's also exciting in that it's a little bit of the wild, wild west again, that anything can kind of go. I couldn't agree more. I feel like the content generation is hitting levels that 
I wouldn't know what, I can't say that I was a futurist and I knew what to expect, but the ability for any of us now to create content, I mean, look what, look what you and I are doing right now. Like you're in Minneapolis, I'm in the Pacific Northwest of Costa Rica, and we're creating content that obviously the goal is to inspire and educate and, 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 and share stories with people. But this is all new. This wasn't, this wasn't necessarily available. Like when your career started in marketing and my career started in sales. Let me ask you this, Troy, what, what do you find exciting in life right now? Hmm. Wow. That is a great one. You know, seeing through, seeing things through the eyes of my kids, that opens me up. Um, cause ultimately they are the future gatekeepers of what will be deemed cool. Not my kids per se, but you know, one's their age and that generation. I think that's, that's fun to see what they respond, you know, well to, you know, the pursuit, the continual pursuit of, of celebrating and striving to contribute to the inherent progression of things that you find uniquely special, whether that be passions or other things, maybe that you're on the periphery of, you're not necessarily a participant in, but you think are cool and you want to see them succeed and you want to, you know, cheer them on. Really though, it's, it comes down to watching what the youth responds to and what makes them excited each day to, to go all in on something, what triggers that emotion and that commitment um, is different today in terms of how brands articulate that emotion and trying to tap into to that in a timely way and then have it cross over into how you're, you know, guiding the work when it comes to, you know, teams collaborating and, and building brands and really the cadence around the workflow and bringing a brand and, and campaigns and things like that to life. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's, that, that's a lot to be excited Long about right now. No, I mean, it, can you, I mean, is there anything better to talk about than what actually excites us, right? That is, there's so much happening at such a fast pace right now. I truly think this is the most amazing time to be alive in the history of the world. I, I can't come up with a time that would be more fascinating to be involved with. Some good, some bad, but I'd say mostly really, really good. And, you know, unfortunately, we're running out of time for today together, but I, I have a couple questions I want to ask you. And Troy, tell me this. If you, you know, if you look back, what piece of advice, if you could give yourself one piece of advice at the very beginning of your career, what would you tell yourself? You know, man, what, what comes to mind is, is things that I already knew actually, like what goes around comes around, you know, kind of make it happen, like, you know, show up and make it happen. Be assertive, be, be not aggressive, but passionate. But to specifically answer the question, I think it, it would be that for me, understanding that you can, with the right approach and the right commitment, day to day, you can achieve anything you want. And it seemed to me that there were limitations in my mind, at least 20 years ago on what I could achieve. And now looking back on it, it's like you come to realize when you work with certain people, regardless of title or fame or whatnot, that we really are all no different. And everybody 
you know, maybe some people are, are wired a little bit differently and have an advantage by way of just natural abilities in, in some regard, but your aptitude can certainly be increased by way of commitment each day to achieving your goals, especially when you find something you're passionate about. You know, I, I think about it all the time with the amount of people that I speak with, and that is everything is possible. Yes, there's certain natural abilities and we all have a, you know, a little bit of a differentiator, but if we apply ourselves and like you said, we have passion to it, what can we not achieve? And I keep, you know, I try to remind myself of that too, right? It's, we can, you know, in times, there's good times and bad times in every part of life, in businesses and personal life and family life. But when we really understand and believe that everything is possible, it sure makes the ability to solve problems that much, that much stronger. So I totally agree with you there. Um, Troy, you know, the last question I've got for you today is when you think about the people that you care about most and books that you've recommended, yeah. what book have you recommended more than any other book to someone that you truly care about? I think communication is, is absolutely critical in life, you know, obviously in business. And if you're going into business and marketing and, and not necessarily something more, you know, driven by by science, if you will, like being a doctor or a biologist or what have you. Communication is everything. And I found as of as of late, the books by Peter, Peter D, Peter D. Andre, like how to communicate effectively. Um, you know, kind of the 10x rule, you know, just being being mindful about, you know, how you go about planning, pre preparation, execution. Um, if you're doing that, this is something I should have advised myself on 20 years ago, right? Or, or said in the answer to the earlier question, that is, that's so critical, you know, by being proactively forthright with yourself about getting after it and being prepared instead of just, you know, rolling with it. I think um, communication is everything and, you know, going over your, your, uh, your emails, your text messages, the way you present yourself and your personal brand through those, um, through that way of articulating yourself is lost today. I, you know, people just randomly shoot stuff off. I'm guilty of it too, using voice text and what have you. But I feel like conveying a good message through, you know, written communications key and anything around that is very helpful. And this, this one, Great book. So I'll say that. Put that back up there. I didn't. I didn't see that. Let me, let's let everyone see that for a minute. How how highly effective people speak. So that's a Peter DeAndre book. Okay, I'll put it. Yeah. I will put a link in this for anyone who's listening. How to find this book? He emails you right back. And I recently did seventy five hard, um, which is a, a program where you you do two workouts a day. You're on a diet. Um, you drink a gallon of water what have you. And, and you read, you read 10 pages of nonfiction a day and his whole collection is just, it's just awesome. Awesome. Is there a connection to Peter DeAndre and 75 hard, the program that you're, no. that you're doing right now? No, but no. so that's the book that you're reading during the program. That's the 10 pages that you read. Yeah. I finished it a while ago, like, like two months ago, but this is, you know, all the books I went through from Jay-Z's decoded, book to um 
Oh, what's another one that I read? There's a, there is some others, but some of friends and what have you, Matt Hoffman's, you know, book. But I, I feel like, you know, as we're working on it right now, as I'm being long-winded, I should, I should follow some more of the examples in here. But anything by this guy, Peter DeAndre, I highly recommend. Okay. I wish I would have read this a decade ago. Would you recommend Jay-Z's book? Um, you said it was B Decode. Yeah. Boom. I wasn't even aware that that book existed. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy hearing his talk about hustle, growing up on the streets, and, and saying that Matt Hoffman's book about Matt's life, like Matt's somebody that's had knee surgery with no, with nothing, no anesthesia, nothing, literally oh just, gosh. yeah, let's add a pig tendon into my knee and just cut right in there. We don't need to do anything. Next level. I got to work with him for a long time. I was at Target. He's an amazing human, but. Jay-Z's hustle out there on the ground, like he was living on the streets and hearing that story and everything he did to get to where he's at is, you know, it shows you like, get up each day, be positive, put one foot ahead of the other. And what goes around comes around, like do right by people and look to be a part of things that you're passionate about. For him, it was, it was, it was writing, you know, writing rap lyrics, right? He did it all day, every day in between whatever he was doing to survive. And that's how he became one of the best in the world at it. 10X rule. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm going to I'm gonna put Jay-Z's Decoded in Matt Hoffman's book and the show links also. I, I've had Matt Hoffman's book on my list for a while. I haven't, I haven't read it yet. I think you've encouraged me to, to pick it up also. Okay, so we're, we're going to wrap up. And what I want to share with everyone who is listening right now is one of the most important things now more than ever we've ever seen is please be kind to everyone you encounter today but even more importantly be extra special kind to yourself and i hope everyone listening has a really wonderful day 